Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast Q&A edition with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. This week, the question that we are answering is quite a simple one, and it is, shall we, emphasis on the shell, shall we take advantage of the stretch reflex when lifting? That's pretty much it, you know? So when we get to the bottom of our repetitions, are we supposed to pause, hold, make sure there's no quote unquote momentum or inertia, or should we be, you know, bouncing out of the bottom and getting to use that quote unquote stretch reflex? <laughs> um, so yeah, basically like that, that, that is the way that the question was, that was asked. Um, Patrick, what are your initial thoughts? How are you feeling this week? First of all, I'd like to say that um, this question was received in the Facebook group. So if you're not in the Facebook group, you are missing out. Right. That's my greasy sell for a free service that you can avail of. <laughs> um, but yeah, this, this question, it's actually, you can see that the person asking the question is actually thinking and they're kind of like, okay, so if we're saying that, you know, we'll say progressive tension overload is the, the main driver of hypertrophy, uh, then should we be maximizing that? Should we stop anything or stop doing anything that takes away from that in any way? You know, should we uh, effectively, they get to that end range position and there's a little bit, we'll call it some, some sort of elastic energy. I think that's pretty, pretty accurate in terms of what it is. Uh, there's some sort of elastic energy there. And should we use that elastic energy and effectively bounce back up? Right. And, this obviously doesn't have to be like this. There's obviously layers to this, but it doesn't have to be a proper like bounce. Like say you're doing a squat or something and you proper bounce out of the hole. It doesn't have to be that, uh, you know, bad. Um, it could literally just be like you're doing, like you said, a bicep curl and you get to that end range position. And again, you use a little bit of momentum, use that stretch reflex to get out of that bottom position where you're generally going to be a little bit weaker than like the mid range, you know, or any other position in the range, you know, uh, apart from maybe the shortened range. Right. So like, should we, should we use that to our advantage or is it something that we should avoid? And effectively I, I kind of split into both camps for this i'm like yeah you should use it sometimes and you should not use it sometimes you know and um, you have to be accurate in terms of what you're trying to actually dissipate right so if you're trying to get rid of that stretch reflex it's probably going to take about i don't know six to eight seconds to truly get rid of all that stored elasticity in those muscle fibers you know and i don't see many people doing you know they're doing a bicep curl to get to that bottom range and they stop for whatever five to ten seconds there and allow all of that stored kinetic energy to just dissipate and then start their bicep curl again like you don't see many people doing that right now obviously again there's shades within that you know is there a difference a huge difference between pausing for five seconds versus pausing for six seconds mm, like i really don't think there there would be such a magnitude of difference that you'd be like right the five seconds is useless but the six second pause that's going to change your life, you know? Uh, so that's the first thing I'm like, first of all, like realistically, you're never really getting rid of the stretch reflex. You're just minimizing its contribution. Right. So on, on one hand, I'm like, it really doesn't matter. Like, unless you're doing like 10 second pauses in the bottom position, 
you're always using it, right? But as I said earlier on, there are obviously shades within shades of this. So although you can't get rid of it completely, like you can minimize its contribution, you know? Um, And again, I fall into the camp on the other side of things where I'm like, yeah, you should effectively really try to minimize it as much as you can. You should be going like smooth into that position and smooth out of that position. Again, assuming the, the goal is like hypertrophy and not strength if you want to categorize those two things because you know if you're you're talking about strength maybe it is uh, a thing where you're like i actually want to benefit from that stretch reflex like again like maybe you're training i don't know your overhead press for a strong man and you're like yeah i want to use that stretch reflex in that bottom position there and just you know try to power through that bottom position and actually get the weight overhead or you're an olympic lifter or whatever you know if the goal is to lift the maximum amount of weight i'm like yeah like you, you probably want to use the stretch reflex to help you in whatever way it can help you you know um so there's that but if it is if the goal is hypertrophy you're talking about muscle building then i am a bit more in favor of that kind of smooth in smooth out approach like you get to that bottom range position and you're controlling that turnaround that i think it's often called the amortization phase uh you know you're controlling that uh, essentially change of direction between the eccentric and the concentric and the converse of that the concentric and the eccentric um so I, I am in favor of controlling that. So that kind of leaves my position a little bit wishy-washy where I'm saying, yeah, you should control it, but you can never minimize it entirely. Like you can never get rid of it, you know? So effectively, I think that leaves my position on this topic of it shouldn't be haphazard and it shouldn't be sloppy if you're going to use the stretch reflex, which I think it's going to play a, a role for most people it should at least be under control. You're not like getting, you're not in like a preacher curl position there and you're not getting to that bottom position and effectively like bouncing the weight back up to get it back into that kind of mid range where you're a little bit stronger, you know? Like I don't think that's a good approach, you know? But I also don't think the approach of being so hyper anal with your your tempo or anything where like you get to that bottom range position and like unless you can have a perfect turnaround, perfect control, uh, you're like, oh, that's the rep done. And you never actually get anywhere near, you know, muscular failure because it's always just that turnaround phase because you're never utilizing the stretch reflex, but you never actually accumulate meaningful volume for your actual bicep. It's always just the the lack of a stretch reflex that's limiting you, you know? So effectively, my opinion on this is a bit all over the place. What are your thoughts, Gary? Yeah, like fundamentally, my actual <coughs> practical answer is the exact same as your answer, as in like they're pretty much the take-home points. But the thing that I want to do is, is be a pedantic fucker here and just be, actually start to, to define what we're talking about. We're talking the stretch for reflex because you've actually given the correct answer in that like, like what the, that, that is what the question is actually asking. So like what the question is actually asking is not really about the stretch reflex. It's technically about like the different things that contribute to us being able to produce more force or do more work. When we get to the bottom of the range, we bounce out of it. So like more specifically, like a, a stretch reflex. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is because for those of you listening that just don't know what a stretch reflex is, it's probably not helpful for us to just use that terminology yeah. all the time very loosely. So like a stretch reflex is, is essentially a, a very primitive involuntary way of increasing the amount of force that a, a muscle is producing. So it's a, 
it's called a, a myotatic reflex. You don't really need to know that, but it's monosynaptic. So what that actually means is that basically when your muscle starts to lengthen, there's these little muscle spindles inside in the muscle. Um, and they're basically sensors of muscle length. So what happens is as a muscle begins to increase in length, for example, let's say the hamstrings in, or, in an RDL, what starts to happen is those muscle spindles start to, like as their length increases, you get the, an increase in the amount of action potentials, which are basically nerve signals that are sent to these nerves that go up to your spinal cord. And when they get there, they send a motor nerve back that that's basically firing to say oh let's increase the amount of force that this muscle is producing in a reflex type of movement so the most basic way that you can illustrate that is when you go to the doctor and they have that tendon hammer and they hit your kneecap they hit your knee your patellar tendon with that hammer and what that does your quad just starts to fire and it extends okay so the difference between like like that's a, a raw stretch reflex in its finest form so if you think about what that actually means a stretch reflex is technically a way to increase the amount of, of force that your muscle is producing um, as a result of stretch okay so that's it in its rawest form however that's not necessarily what people are talking about when we talk about lifting because when you're talking about say the bottom of an rdl or something like that like yes you are stretching your muscle and the that reflex is probably everything to you being able to to produce force through that muscle so those action action potentials from that muscle spindle they're going as you begin to to lengthen the muscle but it's a voluntary movement so you're, you're in voluntary control of whether or not you go further so the reason i bring that up is because it makes it clearer what's actually contributing to this move to this movement to this increase in force or the the elastic energy you could say as paddy said or potential energy because basically what's ha what's happening is it's not necessarily the stretch reflex that's sort of a different thing one would say that that's probably going to be advantageous for strength or hypertrophy you want to have that reflex there to be able to increase the, the potential for your muscle to produce force whereas what we're talking about pretty much is more so like the contribution of non-active structures. So things that are not specifically your, your muscle fibers or your contractile proteins. So that could be something like the fat at the back of your knee. Um, it could be something like the contact of your thigh or your posterior thigh muscles, your hamstring muscles with your calf muscles. So if we're talking about a squat, it's an easy example. So you've got the fat at the back of the knee. We've got the calf muscle coming in contact with the hamstrings. We've also got the, the patellar tendon, which is going to be under some under some tension, under some stretch as we get to the bottom position. Um, and you've got other structures within the knee that can potentially contribute to that. You've also got like the contact between potentially your stomach and the top of your thighs. Like that's something that really helps out lifters who are a bit heavier. Um, so basically what you've got are all these different things that are coming together to potentially increase the amount of force that you can produce, especially when we're talking about bouncing out of that bottom position so you're using that elastic energy so that's really what we're talking about here as opposed to like purely a stretch reflex now as paddy said this stuff like probably like it's it's not going to massively change your actual results however there are applications where one might be better or worse served to use more momentum or less momentum or use a pause or don't use a pause at the bottom of the lift okay so for the vast majority of people training just to build a bit of muscle this stuff probably doesn't matter too much however having said that there are cases where i recommend people you know take advantage of the pause a bit more and that might be where someone is maybe 
they're struggling to coordinate the movement or they're struggling to feel a particular muscle and something else begins to take over. You know, so it might be the case that using a pause can actually help that person to develop that tightness in the, bot in the, in the bottom of the lift to keep their position and then to change direction with intent on the muscle that they're actually trying to train. You know, an example of that would be the bench press. You know, sometimes I program paused bench presses even if someone isn't training for powerlifting, because what someone might find is that when they come down and they kind of bounce off their chest, maybe their their back flattens out of it or their their shoulders rise up and they don't feel like they're able to keep that tension um, on the chest muscles. You know, obviously the chest is still working, but that kind of subjective experience and the mind-muscle connection is probably important as well. So if someone comes down and they pause and they get used to maybe driving their shoulder blades back and down. They're keeping that position. They're keeping everything tight. They're in control because the bar has paused. And then they get used to changing direction like with intent on the pecs. That might potentially be beneficial for hypertrophy, but it's at least beneficial for the motor learning or skill development aspect. Another example would be something like at the bottom of a squat. I really like to program pauses at the, especially in like warm-up sets and stuff like that, where if someone begins to practice that movement with a pause, they find their bottom position. You know, they start to realize, right, where's my bottom position? If something is feeling like subjectively, like quite tight, or maybe there's a bit of pain on a given day, they understand where that is in the range because they're taking their time, they're pausing. Okay, so there's some of the applications for, um, for a pause. You might also say that, you know, you just want to spend more time in the end range of a, a particular position. And that's fine too. You know, for example, you might want to, if, the, if there are benefits um, and some research would suggest that there are benefits to spending some time in that stretch position under load, then maybe you might do some really deep dumbbell presses where you're pausing in the bottom position, holding for three seconds. And that's like, there's, there's rationale and reasoning there for programming that. So basically my message would be, if you are programming, you know, pauses or prolonged pauses to try to diminish um, the basically some of that elastic energy just know why you're doing it and and i think i think you can make you can make a fair justification then yeah effectively if your goal is hypertrophy and you are using this stretch reflex if we're going to call it that um and you're as a result you're shifting tension onto other musculature or other you know non-contractile tissues then it's probably not going to contribute meaningfully to your actual overall hypertrophy, apart from the fact that it may actually allow you to get a few extra reps or, you know, use a heavier weight. Like maybe again, like you use the, the squat as an, as an example, and you know, you're using the, the fact that you get this calf thigh contact and allows you to lift the heavier weight because you've got like, I don't know, fat hamstrings, then <laughs> that's cool. Like you probably will lift heavier weight, you probably will get better results as a result, you know? So again, it has applications. It also, it isn't something that I would think about too often. Like I'd be like, all right, just control the movement. The tension should be where you want the tension to be. Again, assuming the goal is, you know, muscle building. You know, if, if you again are using uh, an exercise and as a result of using this stretch reflex, you are using other muscles or other tissues to lift the weight, then it's probably not going to contribute to the growth of the muscle that you want to grow because the tension is being shifted somewhere else at a point in that range, you know, um, which again, you know, may contribute again, like if it's a, especially a multi-joint movement, like a compound movement, it's like, okay, well, there's always going to be other muscles that are working, you know? So 
that's that's fine that's that's part of the actual movement itself you know so it's it's not it's not a big deal but again if you are doing especially isolation work like i would i would i would be hesitant to say that shifting tension to other muscles to help you perform that movement is going to be better for the growth of the muscle that you actually want to grow you know again it may let you get a few extra reps or lift a slightly heavier weight which again we could argue is a good thing um but again it's like it really just depends on what the goal is what the exercise is what you actually as an individual what your biomechanics your anatomy is suggesting would be better or optimal whatever way you want to look at it um for you and ultimately like as long as you are in control of the weights that you're using i don't think it matters yeah exactly like i mean the 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 answers to these questions could pretty much be derived from from solely practice because like you know yourself the lifts where you're doing a bit more quote-unquote cheating you know you're doing a bit more kind of using things that you don't want to be contributing to to the exercise like most classic example an exercise that i almost always pause and have my clients pause unless i'm doing like eight plus reps is like a military press you know so standing barrel overhead press because like you see people do it in the gym and the vast majority of the time they come down they kind of make they might they like bounce it off the top of their chest and then they like lean back loads and you can get you could literally get at least 10 if not 20 kilos extra depending what your baseline level of strength is by simply doing that so in a lot of cases what i'll have people do is pause at the bottom wherever the bottom their, their range is and then start to, to press up from there because that's particularly the case if you if you if you're able to come down to your clavicles comfortably and that's the bottom of your range then like even getting there it's basically like being in that kind of front squat position where it's very clear that like your elbow you like your 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 arm your forearm is totally in contact with your bicep and that's even more so like because if you have big arms so you can tell there that you've already got like probably half the rep just from bouncing it up you know so so they're the types of cases where you start to think about it and, and to to, you, you'll basically know from practice i think yep that's it um i have nothing else to add do you gary and if you do then please don't because i want you to wrap this up <laughs> <laughs> that's good i think that that gives you gives you all some some clear insight into like what the, the actual stretch reflex isn't 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 and more importantly like what you should actually do in practice as i said take lessons from your own training. Like don't always feel like you need to, you know, you need to find a specific paper or have a real theoretical answer for things. Sometimes you can just say, you know what? My dumbbell presses feel much better when I actually pause them at the bottom. And my positioning feels better. And if that's the case, like most of these little details, you're not going to sabotage your training or, or, or massively improve your training. But if you can improve your subjective training experience, then I actually think that's a really beneficial thing. I think that's something that, a lot of people just kind of ignore these days you know it's like we're just going to look for a research paper for everything and if there isn't a paper then we're all going to stick to this kind of same one quote-unquote evidence-based program um whereas like that just doesn't exist and there's always a case for making training a little bit more enjoyable subjectively for yourself within reason so yeah to close it up um you can find us on various platforms such as Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Out of those, I would probably just join the Triage Method community on Facebook and I would subscribe to our YouTube channel. You know, you can subscribe to our Twitter if you want. It'd be handy. The thing is, like, just if you, if you like us, you think we're fucking good people, 
subscribe to us and all those things because it's useful. If you if you subscribe, it's more likely that your friends will be suggested to read our content, and that's always beneficial for us to spread anything that, that you think is useful. So yeah, but subscribe to our YouTube channel. We do a lot of YouTube videos up there. We've got over three hundred videos there, um, and we're constantly kind of adding more. Um, and there's a nice diverse selection there. Whether you're interested in like exercise tutorials, or you want to go back over the podcast archives or you'd like to just see me and Patty answering some questions or watch our vlogs where we're kind of just showing you like, yep, this is kind of how we live. Pretty boring, like, but I mean, what are you going to do? Um, the triage method community, as Patty said earlier, is where we do get a lot of the questions for the podcast. So if you want to interact with us, maybe you want to send in articles to other people who you think might be interested in these articles, or you want to send in training tips for review, that's a really good place to do that. Um, subscribe to the newsletter. The newsletter goes out every Sunday. And that basically includes all the content that we've posted across the week, recommended resources that we've come across on the internet, um, the internet, um, more information regarding any any services that we offer and, or offers that are running. So for example, we've got a, a sale on this week up until January 12th. And like the newsletter is basically where you'll find out about that, but we'll also you know release it on the socials. Don't worry. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's about everything. Obviously, you know about our services. It is the new year now, so our online coaching. Um, we do have quite a few people starting, but we also have a good few people finishing up because a lot of people were like, right, last few months of 2019, going to get some coaching, and now they're going on their merry way, we hope. Um, so we do have coaching availability. If you'd like to work with um, me or Patty, you can get in contact. Triagemethod.com forward slash online coaching is where you can find out information that's linked below as well. Or if you have more specific questions, just email us at info at triagemethod.com or you can just fill out your basic kind of questionnaire, a little screening form um, on site as well. So yeah, the group coaching uh, will be on offer in, in the new year as part of our current sale. So if you'd like to get in, involved in the group coaching, the it's, what is it? Is it 15% off or 10% off? 10%. So 10% off the group coaching, which means it's down from 35 euros a month to 31.50 a month. And that there's male and female options available there. And that basically includes programming that varies each month. So you'll get a new program updated every month. There's nutrition guidelines to follow and you keep in contact with me and Patty via the Facebook group, um, little Facebook, I mean, not the big group, like separate groups for the male and female group coaching. And like, that's a really useful way to just have us basically kind of coach you in a hands-off way you know there's a number of people in those groups now who send their training tips every week and we can give them personalized technique tips clear up any concerns that they have and make sure that they're moving you know along and making progress you know some people that we've had in the past have, have used it as kind of like a check-in thing so if you'd like to post us a week here this is what i struggled with this is what went well this is what i think i need to work on then we can give you that advice you know just like we would our one-to-one -one clients in a more hands-off manner so if you think you'd benefit from that, now's a great time to sign up. Obviously, the program templates and the ebooks are also on site. Um, the two-day two training templates were just released. So if you're someone or you know someone who is maybe starting training in the new year or maybe you started a new job or college and you just, you're kind of stuck for time, two-day training templates are a great, great way to try and get your training in. You know, For probably a good, a good part of the last... Uh, two months, I've pretty much been just lifting twice per week. So it's basically reflective of what I would be doing in the gym um, because I'm just doing jiu-jitsu and a bit of running and exams and Christmas, etc. Um, but yeah, life happens sometimes. Sometimes you won't be able to train three, four or five days a week and that's absolutely fine. You can still get in a good workout twice per week. So I think that's everything. That is everything, Gary. You did wonderfully. Um, so yeah, 
as we say every week guys it is too easy and uh, enjoy yourself so <laughs>